Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, How Managed Long-Term Services and Supports Can Help Family Caregivers. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on April 27, 2017. This webinar is presented by the Lewin Group and AARP and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to ensuring beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at Integrate underscore Care. In this podcast, Susan Reinhardt, Lynn Feinberg, and Wendy Fox-Grage from AARP Public Policy Institute provide an overview of their report on family caregivers, including promising practices demonstrating effective family caregiver supports for adults enrolled in Medicaid MLTSS programs and for those older adults who are Medicare Medicaid enrollees. Welcome to everybody. We're going to talk about our report that is known as uh, Family Caregivers and Managed Long-Term Services and Supports. This is the first major research report in this emerging field. By just a quick background, uh, we have been looking at, of course, the issues of family caregiving and separately the issues of managed care, managed long-term services and supports for quite some time at ARP Public Policy Institute. But uh, several years ago, we started thinking about putting those together and determining what is going on as the field emerges larger and larger in long-term services and supports, what do we know about how those organizations view family caregivers and what kinds of supports they offer them. We did that. We did a roundtable a number of years ago, as I said, and at the end of that roundtable, which was really to discover what was, might be going on, the group there said, you know, we want to keep talking. <laughs> so they asked us to form a learning collaborative, which Wendy and Lynn have been really facilitating, and you can see the, um, the website right there. And I just want to acknowledge that they have given us a great deal of uh, information and really support in pursuing this area. Next slide, please. So uh, just a bit about the rationale. Why would we look at this? Of course, I'm sure that the folks who have joined us on the phone are doing so, in part because they already know that family caregivers are providers of care, both in acute care, frankly, and in long-term services and supports. But we really want to emphasize that some, not all, but some, uh, perhaps many, family caregivers are in need of support themselves. So they are care providers, and they are often in danger of becoming clients themselves. It is, uh, this field is mat- uh, rapidly expanding, as I said, and we think and are already finding that managed care plans can lead the way to more person and family-centered care, and we need to learn more about what is going on in the field now. Next slide. This is an emerging, uh, emerging issue. 
We know, or at least we think we know from this learning collaborative and the work that we've done thus far, that family caregiving supports is not typical. It's not expected in managed long-term services and supports, and therefore it's not commonplace. Uh, the focus has been on the individual member, the beneficiary, as we say, not the family unit. And consumer organizations, including ARP and others, have focused, uh, as they should, frankly, on pre preventing harm, making sure consumer protection's in place, but there is much more that we need to be thinking about. And we are thinking and finding that there are several promising practices are currently, and you'll hear about some of them, currently in place, and lots of opportunities for plans to better support family caregivers so that they can do their job, can perform the kinds of support they give to that beneficiary. Next slide. Family caregiving, these are estimates from a study we have done with the National Alliance for Caregiving and ARP Public Policy Institute. In 2013, an estimated 40 million family caregivers providing about 37 billion hours of care, huge amount of care. And of course, most, 60%, are working as well, having a paid job as well as working in the field of family caregiving. Nearly half, this is a survey we did, uh, by the way, with Carol Levine of the United Hospital Fund in 2012, and we were looking at what is the job of a family caregiver. We know bathing, dressing, shopping, the usual uh, activities of daily living, but we wanted to look at what were they doing in complex care, like wound care, administering injections, managing lots of different medications, operating specialized medical equipment, different dietary needs, a whole range. Wound care is a big one. Uh, so we found that about half are doing those kinds of tasks now, and uh, that's another whole area we can fill you in on. But we do think that managed long-term services and supports organizations should be thinking about the full range of what family caregivers are doing, including this complex care. Next slide. Uh, so we also the Public Policy Institute has periodically given estimates of the value of family caregivers to the nation, frankly, not only to the person they're caring, but uh, to, the, to the country. And we find in our last one, which we published not too long ago in uh, 2015 update, uh, $470 billion if you had to pay, and there's a, a whole methodology to this, but if you had to pay for family caregivers what they're doing, $470 billion, which we have by state estimates as well for those that are interested. That uh, compares to $75 billion in Medicaid home and com community-based services. And by the way, it's more than or about the same as all the sales, the annual sales of Walmart, which is the largest uh, organization uh, like that in the world. So it's a huge amount of money. Next slide. And I'm going to turn this over to Lynn to talk about, yes, that this is a valuable resource, but the caregivers themselves are vulnerable and at risk. So, Lynn, let me turn it over to you. Great. Thank you, Susan. And um, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today on this webinar with my colleagues, Susan and Wendy, and also with Michelle. So let me first start by saying that family caregiver support matters because chronic illness and disability affect the family as well as the individual person. We know from 35 or more years of research now 
that shows that many family caregivers experience daily struggles, worries, and frustrations. And it's these family caregivers that are vulnerable and at risk themselves. And as Susan said earlier, not all families need help, but many do. And family caregivers can experience enormous stress from their responsibilities, from the physical demands of intense and complex care. They experience financial burdens with high out-of-pocket costs. AARP research finds that family caregivers spent on average nearly $7,000 in out-of-pocket costs on caregiving alone in 2016. And then there are workplace issues from juggling caregiving and work because most family caregivers are in the labor force. And we know also from research that family caregivers age 50 and over who quit their jobs to care can lose an estimated $304,000 in lost wages and benefits over their lifetime. That's a lot of resources, which leads to potentially retirement insecurity in their old age. And then there is also emotional strain and mental health problems that family caregivers can experience, and depression and anxiety are common. And last but certainly not least is the social isolation from um, heavy care needs that a family member or a close friend um, may be involved with. And we know that social isolation impacts health and well-being. Next slide, please. So people with self-care needs rely on their family and friends to remain in their communities. But the stresses on family caregivers can lead to negative consequences. The stress can impede the caregiver's ability to continue providing care, which is a main incentive for providing supports to families early on. It can lead to higher costs for health care and long-term services and supports for the member or the care recipient especially if the older adult moves to assisted living or to a nursing home. And it can affect quality of care and quality of life for both the care recipient and family members. Research shows that high caregiver stress is an important and a highly significant predictor of a person's placement in a nursing home. And negative impacts are especially the case when family members are caring for somebody with dementia. Next slide, please. So although families are viewed as the backbone of long-term services and supports, the main providers of care, the concept of really recognizing them and assessing and addressing their own unmet needs is really not well understood in policy or practice, including in managed long-term services and supports. Yet we know that support for family caregivers is a key component of a high-performing long-term services and support system, which has been documented twice in the AARP state LTSS scorecard and I guess I'll give a plug for the third edition of the scorecard that will be released shortly on June 14th. So the idea here is that practitioners must consider not only how the family caregiver can help the member or the care recipient, 
but also to consider what support the family needs to continue in their caregiving role. This is known as a person and family-centered perspective, and using this framework means that the family should be viewed not just as resources, but also as clients, too, who can benefit from information, counseling, training, and respite care, for example. Next slide, please. So in the Caregiving in the U.S. 2015 survey that Susan referenced earlier on that was conducted by the National Alliance for Caregiving and the AARP Public Policy Institute, we found that only one in three family caregivers in this national survey said a doctor, nurse, or social worker had ever asked them about what was needed to care for their relative or close friend. And not surprisingly, but very disturbingly, half as many, only 16%, said a health provider had asked what they needed to care for themselves simply by saying, how are you and what help you might need. So families really traditionally have been invisible in the care process. Next slide, please. So managed care plans. Well, managed care plans are really well suited to operationalize the recommendations from the recent landmark report from the National Academies um, of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine on families caring for an aging America, of which I had the privilege of serving on that consensus committee. And really, it was a call to action to a shift to person and family-centered care, whereby family caregivers have their own health and well-being considered, have their preferences, needs, and strengths recognized and addressed by both healthcare and social service professionals, where families are supported as caregiving changes and evolves, and last but not least, where payment and delivery evolves from person-centered to the notion of person and family-centered care, taking into account both the individual and the family, especially when the care plan depends upon the family caregiver. So capitated payments can incentivize managed long-term services and supports plans to really engage and support family caregivers, especially with evidence-based programs. And we'll be hearing from Michelle with some programs um, that are operationalized in a few minutes. And now I'm going to turn it back to Susan. Thanks, Lynn. So how can managed care plans help family caregivers? Uh, Lynn just mentioned feeling invisible. This is a very common experience among family caregivers across the healthcare and social service systems. So the first thing is that we can recognize family caregivers. And it may not be the next of kin, it may not be the uh, legal uh, guardian, but the person who is providing that ongoing care it could be hands-on care or, or many different forms of care, as I indicated earlier. But we need to recognize them and write them into the medical record or the electronic health record and the service plan where they are involved in providing services so that everybody is clear who that individual or individuals are that are helping this beneficiary. Uh, once they are identified, it's much easier to include them in participating in the care planning. Of course, always with the consent of the individual, uh, but the individual is often relying on the family caregiving for services. So that assessment is very important in understanding the family 
care unit to be able to, uh, to proceed. The family caregivers and care coordinators can exchange contact information. The family caregiver is very often the one that is arranging for services, is the one that can answer questions, again, with the, with the approval of the beneficiary. But to be able to communicate with each other, they have to have contact information. And then the skills. What kinds of skills do caregivers, family caregivers need? Uh, it might be that basic uh, care, like bathing, dressing, helping people getting in and out of bed, those basic things or those more complex tasks like administering meds and uh, wound care, helping people with dementia and dealing with those behaviors that are often very difficult to manage. And, of course, trying to get referrals to services for family caregivers, such as respite care, often very desirable and needed services. Next, please. This is just a map, I'm not going to go through it, of the states with Medicaid-managed LTSS programs. It's one that has to be continually updated. There's shading for those that already have it, those that are focusing on the people with both Medicare and Medicaid eligibility, the duals, those that are considering it, for example. So you can read that at your leisure and figure out which stage you're in and where the progress might be going on. But you can see most of the country is shaded up a color and that means they are involved in some way in one of these programs. Next, please. We did a study with Truven. This was really our first uh, systematic way of beginning to look how plans might be uh, including or working with family caregivers. This was really a study of care management across contracts at that time in the United States, 19 at that time. And we just asked, in addition to many other questions around care management, which of the contracts now, these are a you know, review of paper contracts, not interviews, which ones acknowledge family caregivers in any way? How does that show up? Where are care coordinators given information, contact information is given to family caregivers? And the last one, is there any mention of training? Uh, educating, supporting family caregivers as a covered benefit. And you can see 15 out of the 19 mentioned family caregivers in some way, so that's a start. Only nine of the 19 had contact information exchanged and only three explicitly mentioned training. So that's just the very first toe we put, dipped in in terms of uh, quantitative or qualitative information, but it did help us identify some promising practices, and I'm going to turn this over to my colleague, Wendy, who's going to share some of that. Great. Thank you so much. Yes, this is Wendy Foxgrage with AARP. And as Susan and Lynn both said, um, family caregiver supports and managed LTSS is uncommon. However, there are some promising practices, and that's really going to be the highlight of my talk. Um, I'm going to highlight four promising practices. We have two state Medicaid managed LTSS programs, a large national plan, and then a dementia care project that I'm going to be speaking about. Next slide. Okay, so first we're going to go to Tennessee. TenCare is the first state managed LTSS program to fully support family caregivers in both their contract language and in their protocols. And in fact, that language is in our report, and Susan shared the link to that report uh, with you all earlier. Um, who's a family caregiver? In 10 care, it's defined very broadly. It does not have to be a blood relative or your spouse. It's 
somebody, as Susan said, who's routinely involved in providing unpaid support and assistance to the member. And at AARP, we're very supportive of that as well. We also define it very, very broadly. Um, so in this program, they're typically the family caregiver is typically assessed face-to-face -face once a year, whenever there's a change, or when it's recommended by the care coordinator. So how does this work? Um, at each face-to-face -face visit, the care coordinator, while he or she is there, asks how the family caregiver is doing and how they're doing with the care plan. If the family caregiver is concerned in any way, then the care coordinator can conduct a full family caregiver assessment. Because as Susan and Lynn were saying earlier, um, some family caregivers need help and, and some don't. Um, the assessment uh, may occur for one family caregiver, or if there are more family caregivers that would like an assessment, that also can take place. And the assessment is a separate assessment from the individual. It's an assessment for that family caregiver's role, their, uh, their own health needs and well-being, and then any kind of training or services or supports that they might need. Next slide. Now we're going to go to South Carolina. And the program administrators in South Carolina spoke with the program administrators in TenCare, and they modeled their program off of TenCare, but with a South Carolina twist. And that's because every Medicaid program is different, so it's a little bit different. Um, Specifically, just to give you a little bit of background, the Healthy Connections Prime Program is what we refer to as uh, the U.S. Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services dual demonstration. That means this is uh, aimed at people who have both Medicare and Medicaid, and it's for older adults. So it's for people uh, enrolled in that program who are age 65 and older. The uh, caregivers are identified up front. Again, they're assessed, their own assessment on their status, their abilities, their risk for burnout, which as we heard from Lynn, uh, can really be great. Um, and then they can, based on a, that assessment, they can refer them to a variety of caregiver information, education, and different covered services. We have some listed there. They also can leverage a flexible benefit. Uh, if it's indicated for more services. And one of the things that I really like about the PRIME program is their partnership with the University of South Carolina's Office for the Study of Aging. They're the ones who they contracted with to do the trainings for the care coordinators. And what's really nice for the social workers, and I saw we had a lot of social workers on the line, the social workers in this program can earn continuing education units, and the trainings are uh, there's a wide variety, ranging from um, abuse, neglect, to interviewing skills, to care planning. Um, the plans are required to have a caregiver quality improvement project, and they're also required to track respite care. And I think this is really important because by measuring respite care and tracking respite care, it's a sign to the plans that, um, that this is a benefit that's very important and that uh, family caregivers are an important part of the care team. Next slide. Now we're going to go from plans to, uh, we're going to go from uh, programs to a plan. So we're going to talk about United Healthcare and their solutions for caregiver programs. 
Um, this program is offered in some of United's uh, Medicare to some of the Medicare members and to large employers. Um, it's also offered. They also offer a variety of family caregiver supports and some of their Medicaid programs. But because time is very limited, I'm just going to share with you uh, a few items with the with their um, Medicare Advantage plans. Though I did want to point out that caregiver supports are through all of their product lines, but I'm just focusing on the one today. Um, in this program. Uh, family caregivers, they can call geriatric experts or coaches, and then they can refer them to information and services. Um, also, geriatric case managers can conduct one in-person assessment or and that could, uh, at their home if they want, or up to six hours of consultation over the phone. And so what they can do is a variety of things. They can do an at-home assessment. They can write a care plan. Uh, they can provide information and referral, and they can go over different options, different home and community-based options and different residential options. And then lastly, we're going to end in California. Um, next slide. Um, so this is the uh, Cal MediConnect Dementia Project, and this is a promising practice for family caregivers of people with dementia, and we know in particular that they, uh, it's, a, it's a group that is uh, often, um, because of dementia, uh, is in need of services. This, is, this program is part of California's dual demonstration, which I described earlier, but dual demonstration meaning that it's for both Medicare and Medicaid beneficiaries in seven counties of that state. This project is run out of the Greater uh, Alzheimer's uh, Los Angeles project, so a big shout out to Deborah Cherry and her colleagues. And even though it's run by that group, um, it's in partnership with the California Department of Aging, and then they receive funding for this project through the U.S. Administration for Community Living. Next slide. Um, this project has several components to it. Um, one that I like, because you all can download their items for free um, and they're evidence-based, is the Dementia Care Management Toolkit. Um, it is developed for both care managers as well as family caregivers of people who are caring for someone with dementia. Just a few items to mention. There's a tool for identifying family caregivers. There's a very good caregiver stress and strain instrument. There's a needs assessment for caregivers. There are um, fact sheets, um, and they're in Spanish as well as English. There's also standardized care plans. So we, we gave you the website here uh, where you can uh, go and, and download those. Um, the plans can also make referrals to the Alzheimer's of Greater Los Angeles for supportive services, and then again, What's nice about this program is that there's an independent evaluator. It's the University of California, San Francisco, uh, otherwise known as UCSF. And so far, the results have been very positive for both family caregivers as well as care coordinators. And with that, we're going to wrap it up with some findings and recommendations. Thank you, Wendy. This is Susan again, and you see our list of findings and recommendations here. I just want to highlight them. We've said already that plans should have a strong financial incentive to support family caregivers. 
because we know that family caregivers are the ones that are providing most of the care in the home uh, to make that possible. Caregiver burnout prevention can delay or prevent costly nursing home placement, as Lynn has pointed out. That research is documented in the National Academy of Science report that she also referenced, that managed long-term services and supports can be a leader here. We really do believe that because of the strong financial interest, but also the caring ethic that they can bring to this to really focus in on family caregivers and improving the experience of care for both the beneficiary and the family caregiver. And to do that, you need to involve family caregivers, especially when the care plan specifies that they need to be involved in the care, that it's very clearly part of that person-centered, person and family-centered care planning process. Uh, and we also do believe very strongly that family caregivers need to give some feedback. They can tell us more about how they can uh, receive help and perhaps uh, better ways that they can be reached. So we're just beginning that research. Next slide, please. Next steps, we are commissioning a Health Management Associates partnership to explore promising practices in Medicaid managed care plans. We are doing this through an interview process, so this is more qualitative, really, again, focusing on what's working. Uh, and we're interested in learning in general about promising practices in care planning and benefit design, education and training, and services that support family caregivers. We have already drafted this. We are really working to complete it and publish it later in this year. But again, we are also continuing our learning collaborative where we receive a lot of this information as well. So with that, next slide, we're going to turn it over, I believe. Yes, are we turning it over? Oh, that's our information. Sorry. And we will turn it over to Michelle. 